What is happening? Welcome back to the Forward Podcast. I'm Lance Armstrong, your host. Uh, thanks for tuning in uh, this week and um, each and every week. If you do, please do. Um, before I even get into an intro, I, I just I want to. I, I, well, I came to a realization about you know sometimes I, when I do these intros, I I um you know my dumbass probably you know seems to think that 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 it's a surprise who's on the show, right? So I, you know, save it till the end. And then I realized, duh, like when you, you know, go look on iTunes for podcasts, it, it says, so it's no surprise who the guest is every week. Um, but this one, Shep Gordon, I am, uh, some of these, a couple things happen. Some of these I get super psyched to do, super excited to go talk to these people. And then when they're done, um, it's just this, and I guess it's similar to sports and, and athletics and, and uh, the thrill of that that I've had in the past. I mean, it, it's a buzz. Like when you when you when you get one that that just um, that that was you know the hour goes by and like it seems like ten minutes, and the and the and the stories are that interesting and you and you, you're like, dude, I could sit here for. Uh, ten hours and talk to this person. Um, this is this is one of those. Uh, Shep Gordon was uh, was such a thrill and pleasure to be around. Um, so we'll get to him in a second. Uh, happenings this week, uh, as I mentioned last week, me and George Hincapi and Christian Vandeville and Dylan Casey signed ourselves up for the twenty four hours of Old Pueblo. Um, I guess the intro. Last week was sort of the uh, was the announcement for it, and it you know you never know how that's going to go. You never know how uh, that community is going to receive that. But I got to tell you, um, the reception has been amazing for us, all of us, all four of us. And a big thank you to Todd Sadow from uh, from Epic Rides, the the producer and organizer, for welcoming us and uh, and being super cool. We are all very excited. I could almost, you know, I could probably sell the uh, the group text that's going on between me and Dylan and George and Christian. It is priceless between, I mean, like shit talking on a scale of one to 10, it's like an 11. And then videos of uh, epic training adventures and just stuff that we're doing to prepare for this thing. Not that we're going to win, but trash talking has been pretty fun. So, um, to anybody that's going to be there, come say, Hey, we're psyched to be there. And, um, you know, when you're, when you're smoking around the course, you know, watch out for the old men, just, uh, take it easy on us. Other news, obviously we have a new president, president Trump, no longer president elect, no longer the host of the apprentice, no longer a hotel Magnet, property magnet, casino magnet. He's our president. And, um, you know, and I always try to stay apolitical on this podcast. Um, and, I, and I'm going to continue that. Uh, it, it um, I, um, you know, for me, what I try to do is I try to govern uh, where I can govern. And that's, you know, my family, my children, my community and, and, and leave it at that. But this, these are interesting times. And it was, and it was really interesting for me to watch, uh, the day after the inauguration to watch, 
um, all of what is mostly m- women um, congregate and collect and and uh, and uh, and rally at these marches. I think they said, at least I heard there was a million and a half people in D.C. Here in Austin, there must have been, it seemed like, I mean, the pictures and images I saw down Congress Avenue, at least, a, you know, 100, 200,000 people. Um, so good for them. I mean, I, I think, um, I know Anna, my, my way better half, went down there with, with a group of her friends and uh, that's, that's, that's what we do, but let's, uh, let's, let's see how this all goes and let's, let's stay positive, stay optimistic. I know, I know for a lot of you, it's tough. Um, but let's, uh, let's let it play out and, um, God bless America, as they say. How about some music? I, so I, I, most of my music, um, that I kind of come across is either obviously hearing about it from friends or or people sending me stuff. But most of my stuff comes from just driving down the road in my car, listening to satellite radio. And I typically listen to the spectrum channel 28, or I'll listen to older stuff, classic vinyl, classic rewind, even the bridge. Like if you want to get into some old James Taylor, some old, Fleetwood Mac, some old Doobie Brothers, some old whatever. You listen to the bridge. Love the bridge. Um, and, you know, Yacht Rock, rest in peace. I, I miss Yacht Rock Radio so much, uh, but it's gone. Anyways, the other day I was listening to um, to The Spectrum, which is kind of the adult alternative station, Channel 28. And they've been playing for, for you know, probably six weeks now, this guy Mondo Cosmo, M-O-N-D-O, Cosmos, C-O-Z-M-O. And it, it uh, if you go, for example, you go on iTunes, there's only three songs. And it's really kind of hard to find information about him on the internet. But, but his music is freaking amazing. Uh, so I, that's my music tip for the week. There's not a lot to listen to, but if you're really into it, you're going to listen to three songs a whole lot. Mondo Cosmo. Uh, all right, this week I'm headed out. I'm going up to. I'm, I'm headed to Dallas. I'm speaking at the uh, what they call the TBI, the Triathlon Business International uh, Conference, and then I have a, a, a stint out west that I'm speaking at in um, in the Pacific Northwest. But that's my speech is is a quote unquote surprise. So I can't tell you what city it is, and I can't tell you what event it is because. If somebody's listening, well, that would ruin the surprise. So if there's any questions, uh, comments, concerns, suggestions, recommendations, uh, whatever, send me an email, theforwardpodcast at wedosport.com. The email hadn't changed. Theforwardpodcast at wedosport.com. We do is W-E-D-U. Sport is singular. Send me a note. Uh, love to hear from you guys. So my guest this week is, uh, is Shep Gordon. I got to know, well, I got to know of Shep Gordon by watching the documentary Supermensch, right? So Supermensch, like the Yiddish word, like so Mensch, M-E-N-S-C-H, Supermensch, the legend of Shep Gordon. And by watching the documentary, you you know of him, but oh, you really, Mike Myers did the documentary, the old um, Saturday Night Live guy, comedian, actor, um, Wayne's World, etc. But by 
by watching the documentary, you really get get to know Shep Gordon. And so, and and then of course, the more you watch it, or the the more you get into it, and the more you feel like you know him, you're like, I really, I need to meet this dude. And he's one of these people that people that other folks just want to just want to be around. They want to travel to him. They want to they want to hang out. They want to hear stories. Well, <clears throat> guess what? I got the opportunity. I had a friend who actually knew him. Over the, and over the holidays was going to see him in Maui. We were on the Big Island. And I said, dude, will you please do me a favor and ask um, Shep if I can come over and interview him for my podcast? And and thankfully, he said yes, and, and we coordinated this thing. But his history is so crazy. And of course, if you watch the documentary, which I highly recommend, I talk about it every week. I love documentaries. This is one of the best I've ever seen. Um, but the beginning of his career, which he talks about in this podcast and all of the stuff he's done, whether it's, you know, managing Alice Cooper for now 30 plus years and, and, and creating that entire, I mean, Alice Cooper was a musician, but, but all of the stuff on stage, it was a total skit. Shep Gordon created that brand and created that, that image that, um, that, that ended up being one of the biggest um, making and, and, and being one of the biggest rock stars in the world. But it goes from, from Alice Cooper to the Dalai Lama to Salvador Dali to, um, to creating with the Food Network the first, this idea of a celebrity chef um, to his deep, deep love for his adopted family. The, the title of the documentary nails it. He's, he's a super bench and, uh, it was one of the coolest hours of my life. And, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, eternally grateful for Shep for letting me come over and bug him for a minute. Alice Cooper was actually there, uh, on the Island. He, 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 he tees off first in the morning. And so, uh, he was still on the course. Otherwise he was going to make a cameo, which would have been pretty trippy, but we'll save Alice for next time. Uh, anyways, I hope you guys enjoy. I hope you're, uh, having a you know we're a few weeks into the new year so keep keep cranking on uh, on uh, on the new year keep living strong and uh, uh, enjoy Shep I think you'll love it. Shep, thanks for being here. Aloha, thanks for coming. Aloha, to Maui. Yeah. that's right. What is, what is a what is a day in the life of of the super mensch like um yeah, everyone's a little bit different but the i would say the regular underpinnings are wake up before sunrise um get in the jacuzzi see the sun come up in the jacuzzi and sort of figure out my day and what the pieces are and you know uh, a lot of thought about what i want to have for dinner um big part of my life yep um, which will the which which sort of sets the tone for the day because if i'm cooking my afternoon ends early if i'm going out it's a it's usually a nap into the night. I usually do the phones. I I, I thought I retired twelve years ago, and right, I think I was going to say, you know, the, I think the definition of retirement is different than I had thought. I think it's you do the same thing, but you do it for free. Hmm. So that's what I find myself doing is basically the same thing. I wake up. You work for a nonprofit. Yeah, I work for a nonprofit basically, and um, and I really enjoy it. I enjoyed it when I was paid for it, and I enjoy it now. I love making. Uh, dinner reservations for people or picking the right vacation spot or a hotel or making a connection for someone who's um, got a tomato sauce that's unbelievable from Sicily and needs a distributor or <laughs> um, 
you know, or Sammy Hagar comes up with a new brand, then I'll try and help. I do the same sort of things. I just don't, I'm not tied down to it. Hmm. So I don't have to go to sleep and wake up thinking about how to make something work. I can, it's, it's much more relaxed. Mm-hmm. And uh, usually end the day at McKenna, one of the discovery properties, play some golf, have a vodka and cranberry, and uh, float into the evening. Perfect. Perfect. Really lucky I have three of my um, adopted kids are living back on Maui. One has a grandchild. So I'm having a lot of family time. Probably the most family time of my life yeah. has been the last few years. Um, a couple of them moved back. So that's really nice. Right. And so for the listeners, I mean, I, I learned by watching the documentary, I was like, uh, this guy's fucking amazing. Who is this guy? <laughs> and it's interesting, too, because, you know, I'm 45 years old, so so taking Alice Cooper as an example, I mean, that was even before my time, like to, right. yeah. To yeah. a 45-year-old or a 25-year-old, uh-huh. they, would, they would say, who's Alice Cooper? Uh-huh. Like my kids, would, they would have no idea no, yeah. who Alice yeah. Cooper is. Yeah. They'd know him from the Muppet shows, the old reruns of some of those shows. And they would know him from Wayne's World. And Wayne's World. It's right. a big thing. That, yeah, you know. And he still, I mean, he still works. He's, he's still- vibrant. He's active. He's um, probably doing the best shows of his life. Interesting. Um, doing 125, 130 shows a year. Big shows. Big. Um, no, America is fairly small, maybe 2,500 seats. Europe is maybe 7,000 seats. This year he put together a band with um, Johnny Depp and Joe Perry called the Hollywood Vampires. Oh, right, right, I remember that. And that played to 100,000 people in a lot of places, the big crowds, which was really exciting. But he does a great show if it's two people in the hall or 100,000 yeah. people in the hall. He, re- and- he really enjoys playing Alice. He just loves what he does. Yeah. Um, he's, he's, um, we've been together 47 years without a contract. We've yeah. never had an argument. I've never heard him curse. I've never seen him lose his temper. Um, That's so different than what. It's we, wild. He so it's certainly different than what people would think today. Yeah. But back yeah. then, yeah. it would be. Remarkable. 180 no, degrees. No degrees. cell phone, no computer. Um, he's, an, he's a pure entertainer. Hmm. He sort of leaves everything else to everyone else. Yeah. And he raises his family, he plays golf, and he entertains. Yeah. Um, and when you were introduced to him, you paid him yeah. to yeah. represent him. I was a... Uh, which is, when I read that about <laughs> the relationship or the beginnings of it, I had to reread it like five times. I'm like, no, you don't pay people to work for them. I was a... Uh, Anthony Bourdain, actually, I never, I never knew how to comfortably say that I was a drug dealer. It always came off my lips in a very harsh way, um, especially having grandkids and kids. And Anthony was, was doing a discussion with me in New York, and he said, so I understand you were in the pharmaceutical industry before um, right. entertainment. And it's like, oh, yes. So I was a pharmaceutical salesman. Rep. And um, a, a there were a bunch of Afro-American artists who had been raised in Watts and in ghettos. Uh, Jimi Hendrix, the Chambers Brothers, who were products of ghettos, said to me, once they realized that, that I was making my living selling pharmaceuticals, said, what are you going to do if the police come in and ask you, where'd you get the money for your car, for your house? Yeah. And that never had struck my brain. I'm a m- white middle-class kid from Long Island. Yeah. And um, I said, geez, I don't know. They said, you sh- you're Jewish? And I said, yeah. And they said, you should be a manager. Uh, great, perfect, who should I manage? And Alice was living, Alice at that point was a group of five people called Alice Cooper. Alice was Vincent Fernier. And um, they were living in Chambers Brothers' basement. 
And the chamber surgeon Hendrick said, can you afford to pay him $10 a week? And I said, yep. They said, let's go talk to him. And Alice says, you know, Lester Chambers came in and said, I found this Jewish guy who'll pay you $10 a week to manage you. Yeah. He's going to pay you to I'm gonna, work He's going to pay you, which, which I did for six or seven months um, and was very happy that um, they did not appear to have any chance to be successful. So it meant I wouldn't have to do any work. Yeah. And I didn't know what to do anyway, even if I had to do work. Um, I remember somebody used the word gig, and I had to wait till they left the room to ask Hendricks, what is gig? what's a gig? <laughs> um, and uh, it was Pink Floyd, actually. And... Um, so that's how it started. And then at one point, um, everybody around me was getting uh, put in jail f- for drug dealing. Hmm. And I just but knew. Primarily pot. Or- uh, pot and LSD. Yeah. Um, I was a big psychedelic head. Um, and that was easy to do. It was large quantities were in small packages. Um, you didn't have to cross borders. Yeah. It was a very different rhythm than in those days selling smoke. Because um, marijuana back then, you had to get you had to get Mexico from Mexico basically, and it was you know it was bulky and um, wasn't expensive. You know, a kilo of marijuana was one hundred and twenty dollars, whereas a, a dose of LSD, which was a tiny pill, was maybe ten or twelve dollars. Yeah. Um, so um, I sat down with Alice in the group, and I just I said, um, "Listen, I can't do that anymore, so I can't afford to pay you anymore. Um, but if you want to get serious, I'm a Jewish kid who's going to get rich." And we will figure this out. Right. And that was our handshake. Yeah. All these crazy stunts. I mean, you read, I mean, obviously they, and again. Desperation. Oh, well, <laughs> if you, if you watch the documentary, which for those listening, you got to watch this if you haven't seen it. But I mean, these crazy ass stunts between, you know, the three that I can think of is the, you know, the, the drive, driving the billboard around London yeah. and, and around, Breaking it down. around the circ, the main, the busiest roundabout in London and paying the guy to pretend like the, the truck has broken down. So your billboard is stuck there twice in the same place. Oh, you did it twice. twice. Even better. Uh, you know, the, 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 the cellophane costumes or outfits or the, you know, the plastic where they were naked underneath and then you call the police and say hey, these guys, my, my kid is there and this guy is naked on stage and it fogs up so yeah. they don't not they don't naked. see anything yeah. yeah and then you know the the most famous that I was guess, my lesson to rehearse yeah you should yeah that was you my should. great lesson early in the career was you have to rehearse and you, to this day, you you write, you you sort of create. I don't know if Alice Cooper still has a guillotine. And, oh yeah, you know, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So you and you, yeah. We're just talking now about the new show. This year we had a real. The, about two years ago we had a great revelation. We sort of, and and we have great fun doing this. It's mm-hmm. not like it's work, but um, we sort of developed this character of Alice Cooper, who's a um, despicable person, just despicable. Chops up baby dolls. <laughs> spits on people, uh, just absolutely despicable, punches ministers in the nose at church, does, does these disgusting things. And the town rises up, and he's always dressed in black and looking really honorary. The town rises up and executes him. Sometimes it was by a guillotine, sometimes by um, a hanging sometimes. And then he would return to the stage in white, reborn. It's a really a classic third world country story of um, exercising out the demons and being reborn that everybody can't have a second chance. Mm. Um, and it was only maybe 10 or 15 years into doing that we realized how classic 
this theme was. We thought we had actually thought of something original. And, um, but then it hit a point a couple of years ago. We sat and we said, we've been doing this so many years. What else could, what else would Alice be doing? And then we said, wait, we kill Alice. Where would he go? Where would Alice Cooper go if he died? And that came up with the theme of a, um, of a rock and roll heaven graveyard. And Alice used to have a group called the Hollywood Vampires that all died early with drunks, John Lennon, Keith Moon. Um, so that's what we did. Alice gets guillotined, and we created this uh, graveyard of all his guys that he used to drink with. And Alice is now back with his pals. And Jimi they, Hendrix. Yeah. And then he comes back in white. And that's really what spawned the Hollywood Vampires, because that group was called the Hollywood Vampires that met at the Roxy. And when Johnny Depp came down to the show, he said, did that really happen? And we said, yeah. He said, oh, my God, you got to bring that to life. Right. That's just too cool. Um, and that's where the Hollywood vampire thing came from, which has been a great success of Joe Perry, uh, Johnny Depp, and Alice Cooper. Wow. Wow. And Alice Cooper's a smart guy. He's a smart guy. Yeah. yeah. Smart as they come. And dedicated and a great entertainer and a great human and just all the right stuff. We got so lucky to meet each other mm. as the first client. For me to have him as my first client, I got completely spoiled. Yeah, I thought that that was actually he was willing to work hard. He oh. was smart. He was yeah. He well, he had a wild phase. Oh yeah, he, and and um, and didn't take any of it personally. Mm. You know, because the reviews we got in the beginning, which we wanted. To I mean, get, wild party phase. No, no, never had a wild party phase. He was an alcoholic who used to just fall down and crash, mm. but never a wild party guy. But but our our goal was to get parents to hate us. Right. And that meant an amazing amount of social abuse. Mm. You know, like you'd wake up in the Rolling Stone interview of his album was headline was Alice Cooper, something Walt Disney had the good sense to leave in the can. Um, and those <laughs> are hard personal shots. Right. <coughs> personal shots to take as an artist. Yeah. <coughs> but he never let that get in the way of anything it's just been a joy for 48 years the you know when if you watched and i watched <clears throat> almost famous many many years ago and then when you watched, great scene <laughs> great scene with, you know and for those at home you know you have this scene most of you have probably seen this or a lot of you where you're on there is a, it's a it's a it's a make-believe sort of rock band and the crew and they're on their private plane and they're flying somewhere and an engine catches on fire and and they all are sure that they're going to die. Mm. The pilot says, we're going down. And one of the crew guys says, I got to say something before we all die. And he says, I think in the I'm movie, gay, says, I'm, I'm gay. Really right. And so then when you watch <clears throat> Supermensch, which I, of course, had no idea that this was mm. where this was, that, that y'all's story was the inspiration <laughs> for that. But you guys are on the Alice Wait, Cooper yeah, we're on a, Airways we're on or whatever. Alice Cooper plane, really funky plane. It definitely should have gone down. It was a two-engine prop, but it had Alice Cooper across it. This is 1972, so we're early in the game with a big snake on the tail. And we used to have a red carpet and marching bands meet us in every city to get the 6 o'clock news. So we'd get some high school marching band, and that would always get the news. And we had, I mean, this plane was funky. Um, and they're playing poker on the plane. We're carrying with us a kid, 16-year-old kid named Cameron Crowe who's writing a piece for the Rolling Stone magazine, the youngest writer they've ever used. He wrote and directed the movie that we're right. talking about. But he was 16. And I remember they're playing poker. Alice, a guy named Space Latanza, 
and hot Ralphie Cafuco and Fred Frankie Scanlero are playing poker at a table. <laughs> and Alice says, well, I guess it's time to triple the, the, uh, the pot. And they said, what? And said, yeah, look at the window. And the flame coming out of the engine is unbelievable. And there was no real panic. He says it like that. But so as, the plane is on as, fire. As Alice nonchalant Cooper's as you could possibly sizzle. say it, he's drunk out of his mind. He turns, he says, I guess we should triple the stakes. Look at the engine. Nobody really panics. And this guy, Space Latanza, stands up. And our accountant, who I just saw at a book party in New York, I hadn't seen him in 30 years. His name was Jay, but we used to call him, he wore these big glasses. And we used to call him Elton Jew, the accountant. <laughs> And Elton Jew had just found out his wife was pregnant. So Space Latanza jumps up and says, I guess we're going down. Elton Jew, I got to admit to you, it's my baby. And at that, the pilot opens the door and says, we're going to be able to land. It's going to be safe. And we come so, on. okay, that's right. So <laughs> what? It wasn't his baby, of course. <laughs> oh, it wasn't? No. <laughs> but no. he had he'd been Just to take the shot. Only he, to take the shot. Oh. So he wasn't <laughs> no, no. banging. These were wise guys from New York. Ah. Those, see, I, I was under the impression that it no. really was his baby. Back in 72, um, there were no touring companies that had to build stuff or take stuff down except Broadway companies. Mm. So in the world of rock and roll, there wasn't production crews. You'd hire a lighting company, but there was no production crew. And we had these gigantic sets. We needed electricians. We needed carpenters every day. So I had a house on Fire Island, and there was a crew that built houses on Fire Island, these crusty Italian kids who just were party animals but built the Fire Island houses, which was a three-month job, four-month job, because you could only live on, and it happened to be the off time. So I hired this crew of New York wise guy builders, Space Latanza, Hot Ralphie Cafuco, Pretty Boy Jeff, and this was our crew. So these were just New York wise guys who just took shots all the time. We just actually, hot Ralphie Cafu, one day we were in um, Sweden. We got contacted by a TV show. These twin girls, 15, told us that their mother had an affair with a guy named Ralphie on our crew when we came through Sweden. <laughs> and, they're not, and they were on a TV show about finding their father. So was it Ralphie, Ralphie Crefuco? Hot Ralphie Crefuco. That was the dad? That was the dad, yeah. So he, the girls that I live with him, I think they're 25, 26. But this was the Wild West. See, I wanted to know, I mean, if in, if in fact he was sleeping with her and it wasn't, no. I wanted to know what the last half hour <laughs> yeah, was no, like. Because yeah, yeah. that would have been <laughs> Yeah, torture. It was brilliant. torture for that, that five minutes or three minutes. But yeah, no. <laughs> wow. And then you mentioned Rolling Stone, and, and, and I read the Rolling Stone interview that you did I think just after Supermensch came out, and they asked you what bothered you about about the documentary. And you said a couple of things. You said, I think at the end of the interview, in one of these interviews, you said, I'd, I'd really like to meet that guy, Shep. Yeah, right. Which I think anybody that watches the <laughs> yeah. documentary goes, I really, that's what I said. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, I look in the mirror and I see the same asshole I saw when I was 12 yeah. years old. I mean, not in a horrible way, but, you know, I, my self-worth issues are gigantic. So the concept that um, the character that he built, you know, is um, is so perfect. Mm. Um, it's not necessarily me, but I respect what he did, and it's a, it's a movie. Mm. So my first thought when he showed me the movie, cause I didn't want to see the movie when it was being made. Yeah. I felt like it's really his movie. I don't know if it was my ego that stopped me 
common. I don't know what it was, but something stopped me. Yeah, it's got to be a little weird. Yeah, and uh, I went to see it. The lad who's looking at me so nervous, like, are you ever going to talk to me again? Um, mm. And that was my reaction. I said, I want, I want to go have lunch with this guy. Right. What a great guy you and, built. And you also, in the Rolling Stone piece, you also say that you, I don't think it's a regret, but you, you, uh, you had wished, maybe not to, I should read it or read it to you, but the the movie, the documentary left out your mistakes. Yeah. Because if you watch yeah. it, I mean, it's yeah. this guy that, I mean, he didn't miss a beat yeah. ever. Ever. Like, no. That was one of run, the greatest, home run, home run. One of the greatest love letters ever. Right. Like, but we know that, but that's nobody not the way life works. Home run every time yeah. they stop. That's out. what, I, I think that's what really led me, what led me to write the book was, um, a little part, you know, it's like cook, making a dinner. It's a lot of ingredients. So decisions are a lot of ingredients always. That was a little piece of the ingredient. I think the thing that was hardest for me to accept and confused me the most was the adoration of humans for this person who was up on the screen and what a huge need there seemed to be for people to to try and pick up pieces of that person in their own lives. And at first it was um, really tough for me to deal with. Like someone would come up to me and say, oh man, um, that's the greatest thing I ever saw. Is there any way you could help teach me how to be more compassionate or how to be happier? And I'm the same jerk that, you know, I I don't mean that in a negative way, just in a reality way. You know, I, I, I don't, I, the last thing I consider myself is any type of guru of any sort of any type. And I've always been so opposed to anybody who thinks they actually really know anything mm. um, in that big world. Yeah. And, um, but so it took me a long time to get comfortable enough to at least say, maybe I need to see, is there a pattern of what I did? Because I think of my, everything I did is random that I can talk about that other people can use. Maybe there's a path they can walk down that I walk down unconsciously, but at least share it with him. Yeah. And then Anthony Bourdain walked up to me out of the blue. I had never met him and said he wanted to do a book. And I said, that's so bizarre because the last few weeks I've been thinking about it. I, I owe it to myself and the people who saw the movie to try and figure out who I am hmm. and what what makes me make the decision. I can see. I think the same thing every day. Yeah, yeah, it's wild, right? <laughs> these, I think days, every, I, these days I But think I that. think everybody does. I yeah. think if you don't admit that to yourself, you you get into real trouble. Yeah. So that's really what I what did he have? What did Anthony Bourdain have to do with the book? He didn't really do anything except he has an imprint at HarperCollins. Okay. And he said to me, I want to do a book with you. Um, and I said, uh, you're the perfect guy because if the book works, it'll get attention because of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and he never really got involved creatively, although he did get me a writer to help me write it. Yep. Um, I took the first path with a college roommate who I love, who had a couple of best-selling books. But I didn't get to... It didn't feel like I solved any issues yeah. at all. Yeah, that person yeah. who puts your words on yeah. is such a critical piece. Yeah. I mean, I've done two books, and I, you know, yeah, I was blown away. And I love this guy. It was really hard for me to say. Yeah, but if uh, you if you read it and you're like, yeah. man, I'm not feeling this. You, yeah. you can't, you can't put that out. Yeah. And that's where I, I just I couldn't put today. it out. Like, you know, I, I'd love to put yeah. something out, but it's such a daunting it's, uh, task because yeah. if, if you fuck it up. Yeah, it's there forever. Especially yeah. sitting in my seat, people are just going to be like, "This is BS, man." Yeah, you got to be so real. So then, what were the mistakes? Well, I think what happened for me is I, when I realized I didn't do it, and I went through the hard not, not mistakes like you. Yeah, no, I'll tell you, like I, I really focused in. I really, I, I hit a point where at least part of my life became clear enough that I could start to sort out the other pieces. Right, and it was um, 
during that period between saying this isn't right, I sent back the money to everybody, paid off the writer, but I read Norman Lear's book. And when I read Norman Lear's book, he talked about his dad and um, the influence his dad had on his life. And his dad was a horrible influence. Mm. My, I always, the veil of my life, I think all of us are somehow predetermined in our choices and our thoughts by our, the relationship we had with our parents. It's, it seems like everybody, I don't know, can't overcome it or if that's just a part of the tree that's supposed to be there. But I always thought of myself as living under this dark cloud of my mother. My mother was a very tough lady, um, did not have a lot of compassion at all. Hmm. Um, I didn't have a life till I left home. And I loved her and I took care of her, but you know, I didn't get married till I was 60. I would blame that on that. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not, I am great at loving the world. It's really tough for me to love one person. Um, just really difficult. Yeah. So I always put that on her. There were so many things that I put on her. You mean being faithful? Not so much being faithful, just really loving. Yeah. Not so much faithful. Faithful was always easy for me. Mm. Um, but actually loving a person. Um, like I, I love the world. People can do right. horrible stuff. I still love them. Yeah. But if I'm in a relationship with someone, they leave a dirty dish on the table, I'll get crazy sometimes. It's like, how, <laughs> like Howard Hughes. Yeah, like what? how stupid is that? But it's so... What I realized when I read the book is that my entire life, all my choices were guided by my dad, who I thought of as this wonderful, beautiful, loving more than anything man who was the weakest person I knew. And what reading Norman Lear's book did was made me realize he was the strongest person I ever knew because he gave up everything for me, hmm. everything. Like, So when he would sit there at the chair without friends watching TV, it wasn't because he didn't have friends. It was because my mother was a tough lady. He used to say to me, I'd say, how could you let her do this to me? Would you like me to leave and leave you alone with her? Um, and I re after that realization came, I started to do some research as to who he was because I didn't really know who he was. Mm. And he had this amazing life as a kid. He was a, a wild man. He uh, worked at a brewery, had a house on Staten Island, had these beautiful cars made up, Ben Gordon, available for parties any time of the day or night. Wow. Um, he had millions of friends. He had I found trophies for handball. I never knew he could even play a sport. Um, <laughs> I just didn't know. And he gave it all up, everything, like no life whatsoever. And <laughs> that, that made me realize the kind of choice. Like I never could figure out why did I adopt the kids? Yeah, Never made sense to me. Right. I mean, I do it and I love it. And now it's the best thing I ever did. Yep. But what was my motivation, especially with this cloud of my mother? So my thought, thought was, well, this is the only way I'm ever going to get a family. So that's why I did it. Um, you always wanted kids. Always wanted kids. But yeah. I went back to the relationship with my mother in that moment saying, but it really wasn't that. It was my father yeah. taking care. And you think yeah. the process, because it really is a process, of doing the book is what really got me got clear. You there. In that, I don't know how much it'll do for other people. Because most people do ha go through the process and then write about it. Yeah. No, for me, the process is what got me to it. I never would have taken the time or the pain That's interesting. to get to that moment. Um, well then, then it and again it goes back to this what I just said of, of, of you, whoever you do it with. I mean, I don't know who. You so did it important. With. I, this I is mean, a fellow that, named John Strausberg. I mean, this, that would be for them to to get there, and you to be comfortable yeah. them getting there. That's a hard yeah. 
No, he did. And that's and, just cause, like it just has yeah, to work yeah, out. Like it, yeah. you could have, you know, the best, and, and you you may not feel it. Yeah. It was a weird thing too because yeah. I wasn't allowed to say he that he helped me write it by contract. Okay. Yeah, he doesn't. He was with that. another publisher. Mm. And you just uh, said he wrote it. No, no, but I'm going to tell you what happened. So, <laughs> so uh, I hope she's not listening here. But I, a person I know was doing one of these interviews with me, and um, she said, you know. I've done thousands of interviews with people who wrote books. There's very few things I know in life. The one thing I know for sure, you wrote this book by yourself. Nobody helped you with this book. Right. And she went on and on. And I'm thinking, and I know that this guy wrote the book and I can't say it. Yeah. So I called him up the next day and I said, John, you know me really well. Yeah. You wrote the book. How do you think I felt when I couldn't tell the truth? Uh. And, uh, so he called his publisher and got permission for me to now say John Strasberg. Okay, I was going to say, <laughs> I don't want to yeah. be the guy that gets somebody in trouble here. <laughs> but I felt so horrible. I was like, what do I say? I kept saying, well, I, I, I. <laughs> you know, when I when I look at your, watch the documentary, I haven't read the book, I, I would fully admit, and I read about you and, and, and just the arc of your career. And I, I'm very fortunate to be sitting here today, but I've also been fortunate enough to be friends with uh, guys that to me, and uh, you, you may think they're the biggest dickheads in, alive, but to me, it's just, they're so similar. And these are Jerry Weintraub yeah, absolutely. and Irving yeah. Azar. Yeah, I love Irving. I so think these, Irving is brilliant. These guys, yeah. and for the listeners, I mean, these yeah. are guys that, that, that if you looked at just the career of Jerry Weintraub, yeah. who I met Amazing. through Mike Meldman, yeah. whether it's Elvis Presley or John Denver or producing, you know, yeah. movies. Oh, no. Amazing. It, Amazing, yeah. And it was just, it, and you guys had this thing where you, you may not have known all the old Jews. Just all the old. <laughs> Hendrix was Hendrix was right. <laughs> you needed you. <laughs> I mean, and when I when I when Hendrix said, "Well, he are you Jewish?" He's a Jew. I immediately thought, "Well, Irving's Jewish. Yeah, and yeah. Weintraub was Jewish." And but and it's I, weird somehow uh, how sometimes those kind of things work. You look back at the history of um, of movies; it was all Jewish guys. Yeah, you know, uh, all, every one of the studios. Yeah, was, it's just weird how sometimes. You know, you look at the police department, it's Irish. Yeah. Um, it's just different. I don't know why, but somehow different species attract different things. Would it be harder? Because you guys, you just figured it out. I mean, it, whether, you know, whether I don't know about that, but a, we work hard. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the key to the three of us is we appear to not be working hard, but right. we're up earlier and go to bed later. Yeah. Jerry's a little bit different. Weintraub was, and I guess Irving too, different than me, in that what they did so brilliantly was they changed, not only did they represent artists, but they used the representation of the artist to change and take control of the system. Yeah. So Jerry was the first person who ever got exclusives on buildings, um, which was gigantic in our business. What, ha Jerry, what, is what does that mean, exclusive? So what that means is, let's say um, if you live in L.A., there's a forum. The forum might do 30 shows a year, mm -hmm. let's say. Next to the forum are three other venues that also do shows. The Hollywood Bowl does shows. Uh, the theaters do shows. Now Staples does shows. Jerry was the first. So anybody used to be able to buy those buildings. So if you were making up the budget for your year as the head of the Fillmore, or not the Fillmore, because it was the Greek theater, you're making up your budget for the year. It's a city-owned building. They lease it out. You get paid for each show. If you don't know exactly how many shows are coming in, your budgets don't work. Right. Jerry went to the buildings and said, listen, I'll guarantee you 70 shows a year. 
I got you Elvis already. I got your press. I want an exclusive on the building. Whether that shows or not, you get paid. You can do your budgets. Yeah. He then owned the building. But he was able to do that because he started with Elvis. So I'm getting you. He had the right guy. So he had 68 other nights he had to yeah. figure out. And, he, and he, his word was good. Yep. Um, and he was the first guy to do that. Yeah. Irving then went the next step. And what he saw, what happened in our business was ticket prices, like when Alice headlined the garden, it was $2. Ticket prices were really low. But even when a ticket was $2, you could buy a ticket for 500 from a scalper. He said, what do I need scalpers for? I'm going to sell the, t- I'm going to be the scalper. Yeah. And that's what he did. And that's, that's led to Ticketmaster and all these evolutions right. of things where the artist now is, you know, we just finished the Hollywood vampires. We got $1,500 a ticket for a meet and greet. Um, that's all Irving's mentality of, of saying, wait a second, why do we let everybody else make money on the artist? Yeah. Let's make as much as we can. So Between the three of y'all, you must know, literally, you must know every person in the world. Pretty fucked. How fucked up is that? I mean, yeah, that's you, fucked I mean, up. and if you don't know, <laughs> I mean, you could forget Kevin Bacon and all these degrees. Just with the three of y'all, and Jerry, God rest his soul. Well, just the way we got connected through Dante. <laughs> and, 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 and I should give a proper shout out to Ethan Penner. Ethan Penner, Ethan. absolutely. So Ethan, Thank you, Ethan. A very yeah. good friend of mine who mentioned to me that, because I've been in on the Big Island for the holidays, he was over there, and he mentioned he was coming over here, hanging out with you. Yeah. And I said, "Oh my God!" I said, uh, do, "Do you think you could ask him if if I could come over and, and sit down with him?" And it took me about three seconds to say yes, please. Well, it's funny because he got over. <laughs> I knew he was. I knew when he left, and he had been here for you know. I knew it'd been a day. I was like, "Hmm, what the fuck's taking so long?" <laughs> and then and then you know then he then he came back, and I was like, "Okay, I still haven't heard anything." He's like, oh yeah. By the way, Shep is uh, is cool to do the podcast. Just uh, you know, oh, yeah. I'll, I'll connect you guys through yeah. email. I was an like, honor to meet you, man. Really, I was like, yeah. I can't believe we hadn't met before. I know, which is wild. Yeah. I know, almost. We we uh, almost, stayed down yeah. the street. Yeah. Which we we don't need to. Yeah. You go there. We don't need to get into <laughs> to Mister Weisel. You know what I want to talk about too, and 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 this is a departure from, or maybe not, but uh, part of my racing career, I lived in. Um, most of the time, I lived in the south of France, but I, I did a stint in Catalonia, in Girona, and so, and I'm a, and I'm a, a fan of of art, and I collect, and and I didn't realize you had this connection to Salvador Dali. Yeah, amazing. And as I read, it was some piece I read where it was very descriptive of your first meeting with <laughs> Dali. and because he he certainly comes off as a kind of a freaky dude. Oh yeah, yeah. But he works at it, I think. Well, it's yeah. I think he really works at it. Right. You know, works. I think life to him is the same as painting. Mm. Um, if you it, even that story, if you think about it, it's mm. sort of a Dolly painting. The honeycomb. I should. I. I'll give a you fast. Me, re- yeah. I'll give you a fast recap of the story. Um, I always tried to get Alice with other famous people, and Alice's show. Alice, as a college student, was an artist. Dolly was his hero. But can I just time out? For, you tried to get him with, quote unquote, famous people, or the or famous people that sort of fit his skit. It, it almost didn't matter. Didn't matter. Yeah, okay. as long as they were famous. Could have uh, been the president. Could have been the president. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, it was on Johnny Carson. Mm-hmm. Famous. Anybody was famous. Yep. Guilt by association. I always called it. We yep. pick off their audience. So whether it was a baseball player, or an artist, there was always a segment we could pick off that would say, "Hmm, let me check into that." I can't believe you know that. Right. Um, Johnny Carson likes him, or Red Fox. Or, right. So guilt by association was important. But Dolly was particularly important because 
we always referred to him when we made our shows up. Wow, that's a great Dolly moment. Because if you think of Alice's stage show, getting executed, getting hung, that's so Dolly. Right. You know, it's he's abstract. It's dark. Yeah, it's yeah. dark. It's yeah. abstract. It, it almost doesn't make sense. You know, so. so um, and one of the things I also tried to do was I always tried to put the face of new technology onto my artist. So when um, the laser disc came out, Blondie did the first video album, even though you couldn't sell any. I wanted her to be the face of that movement. Um, when HBO came on the air, I was managing Raquel Welch. She was the first entertainment special. Um, I, I read about holograms. I said, I got to make Alice the face of the hologram. And I met this guy, Hart Perry, who had done the first hologram. And he explains me a little bit about it. And I said, my partner, I think, said um, at that time, said, how about Salvador Dali? Could he do it? And he said, with my help, he could do it. It's something that an artist could do, but I need to help him through. So we got a hold of his manager, who was a professor in Madrid, as I recall. Hmm. I don't, I don't, my partner dealt with it, so I don't, but it was doctor someone. He was definitely a doctor. And the next thing we know, we're in New York, the St. Regis Hotel, Alice and myself and my partner Joe at a table waiting for Dali to come downstairs in a room where he had painted the wall. Very famous bar at the St. Regis has a Dali fresco on it. And Gala comes down first. And Gala's, uh, I don't know if they were married, but they'd been in a relationship for a while. She was dressed all in black knit with her over her head in black knit also and came with like four guys all dressed in white, three or four guys who looked like cherubs. They were perfect area. And they, were, they all looked like the top of a wedding cake. They were that, you know, perfect thing. And uh, she introduced herself. And she said that Dolly will be coming down soon. She gave us the rules, which was um, don't touch him. Always address him as the Dolly. Do not speak money. Um, so one of the boys goes up, comes down with the Dolly. He's in a smock, perfect smock and a beret. Like, perfect. <laughs> and um, she's ordered hot water, so a cup of hot water. And the Dolly walks up to the table and he takes out of his pocket a jar of honey. Very slowly, doesn't say a word, but very effectively opens the honey. Nobody has said a word Nobody yet. said a word. Very, very pointedly, making sure everybody's watching, puts the top down. Almost like Art Carney. You okay. know, naughty mooners. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the honey starts to go into the cup from maybe four inches above it. And not, we're watching the honey, and the next thing we see is his hand in a scissor. Cut the honey. <laughs> at which point I looked at Alice and he looked at me like, oh my God. And then the journey began. He, We said hello. We had some words. He left. I went into Central Park. With he spoke Gala. English? He spoke English. Well, uh, not well. No, but, um, we, but very few words. Uh, the Dali would love to work with the Alice. Um, wow. The, you know, just gobbled. Um, and then we went into Central Park, me and Gala and my partner with the four boys and um, sort of negotiated the deal, yeah. which was he got everything. <laughs> they got one let, me let me tell you the deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Let's talk about the partnership. What partnership? Yeah, yeah. They got everything. <laughs> we got two holograms. <laughs> but we were happy about right. it. And we did it. And uh, I had, he, I, I had a, a, uh, a great moment with him at the end, which was, um, I always said to Alice, I don't know if the guy's for real or not. I love him as an artist. Yeah. 
I don't know if he's like us. Just where we, with people. Yeah. Right. Or, or if he's real. And he never broke character, ever. Yeah. I, I went to his apartment once. He was in a, elect, a wheelchair, which he didn't need, that had a bear, an entire bear. So he sat like with the claws at the head of the bear was over his head. It was all Dolly paintings. Everything was a Dolly painting. We'd go to the Plaza Hotel Trader Vic's. He ate there all the time. And he'd sign a napkin for him. Um, everything was theater. So anyway, we, we get to the opening of the Hologram Museum in New York, the first presentation of Dolly's Hologram of Alice. And it's Alice. What he did is he, he made an eggclair, Alice's brain into an eggclair. His brain is open as an eggclair. There's ants crawling around in it. And he's wearing, he got a million-dollar uh, brooch from Tiffany to be, that we borrowed. And um, and a like a queen wears, I forget what you call it, but you know diamonds and tiara, tiara, a tiara, diamond tiara. And um, in those days, there were very few outlets. There was network news, t uh, newspapers, and some magazine shows. Yep. And um, we had sixty minutes, as I remember, and the networks coming, and a murder happened. We lost the networks. Wallace was there. I think it was Wallace. But I didn't, so I sort of either had to stall Wallace for 15, 20 minutes, which is not easy to do, yep. or give up the networks. And I didn't want to do either. So I went back to Goller and I said, can I speak to the Dali for a moment? And uh, he called me Mr. Blemley. Right. I was. I read that, which yeah. you didn't know what that meant. No idea. Still don't know. Yeah, still don't know. Okay. So Goller <laughs> said, Mr. Blemley would like to speak to you. So I went back and the Dali, um, this is wonderful. The piece looks fantastic. We have a little bit of a problem, and I explained the problem to him, and I said, and the only way we'll ever be able to keep him is if you go up on stage, because they'll never leave if you're on stage, and I'll give you a signal when the rest of the crew comes. And the Dolly will do. And the Dolly got up on stage, and he just, the Dolly, the greatest artist of the world, the Cooper, the greatest artist of the world, the hologram, the greatest, and he just went on and until... The crew came in. I went like this. Thank you. Amazing. <laughs> Just set it up. Yeah. yeah, you wonder if a guy like that is like back there watching Monday Night Football with yeah, all yeah, his buddies. Yeah, yeah. I don't and think he, I don't think he went that far. Right, but he's you know, yeah. that's my, you know, it's an exaggeration. And he's like, okay, Mr. Blimley's showing up. How can I completely <laughs> yeah. just fuck with him? Like but I that? think that's I think in the art world, and I guess rock and roll not is just a different form. I think that confusion leads to higher prices. I agree. You know, so I think it's it's as a salesman that's really important to keep yeah. keep your buyer off balance at all times. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, you mentioned these, and I wanted to talk about this because you've you've watched all the you've watched entertainment and the media evolve over fifty years or sixty years. But you mentioned back then you had three TV channels, mm -hmm. you had radio, mm -hmm. and now you know if if you wanted Alice Cooper to be seen with anybody famous you would have had an instagram account yeah. a twitter account yeah, a facebook yeah. you, i mean you would have immediately been broadcasting yeah. that to the entire world to the entire world and so now we have that that's our life mm -hmm. and quote unquote celebrity is 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 different in my view it must be just so different than what so different. you're used to yeah. so I, i'd be interested to know what your thoughts on and without name we all mm -hmm. know who, well, i think you know my i, I have some really strong thoughts. One particularly now, because although 
I, I don't want to get politically involved, but because of our situation now, what the biggest difference? It's good. The biggest difference for me, and I think for the world in general, is that when we were starting in the seventies, and it's not that long ago, seventies and eighties, um, the way you became famous was being the best at your craft, mm. and that was a goal. Um, that would manifest itself in um, a telephone call at the office. My child's going to the CIA to learn how to cook. Can you get him a job in Emerald's Kitchen? Or um, my son just graduated from Juilliard. Could you put him on the road for a year um, out with Alice? The calls now are completely different. The calls now are my daughter's going to the CIA. Can you get her on Top Chef? Fame has become the goal. Not getting famous, and and it's permeating everything. I just saw a funny thing on for me it was funny. I saw the ad for The Apprentice this morning with Arnold Schwarzenegger, right. and three or four of the contestants who are on The Apprentice are from the housewives of different shows who are reality stars. Mm-hmm. So that the reality star of her, the housewife of her reality, right. has become a celebrity right. to the. It's completely, it's all backwards. And, and it's obviously it's what the public is taken to because we now have a president who is a celebrity. Yep. So it really is, it's not just a whim. It's a real, this is a real thing that, that being in the media gives you credibility that you're, that you're for something. I don't even know for what. Right. And it used to be you got the, you got the exposure because you were great at something. Right. It's, know? it's, it's, uh, yeah. I mean, it, it is what it, I mean, yeah, it, it is, is where we is. are. Yeah. And uh, I had never thought, of, I mean, it, I mean, I can, if I can talk just a second about, I mean, that's what, I mean, I always just wanted to be the best, no matter what yeah, it was going to yeah. take. Um, and then if, if, you know, I would have had those, you would have documented some of that or, mm-hmm. or created content around that, but that wasn't, you didn't start out going, okay, I'm going to make some kick-ass content or what I think is kick-ass content. Mm-hmm. And then, and then maybe I'll be the best, yeah. but it's, you have, whether it's YouTube or Instagram or a sex tape or whatever, it's just. Yeah, you. I mean, totally different. You know, um, you became the best because you were the best. You worked hard at it. You didn't. You didn't. Your course wasn't going to media school. Hmm. That's what all these people. That's that's their goal. Which I, you know, having seen what's going on now in the world, there is something interesting because it is because whoever can, whoever can manipulate the press, seems to win. That didn't happen thirty years ago. There wasn't enough to manipulate. Yeah. So I think a little bit. I mean, a little bit. But whoever, the, the, but now ter- it seems like whoever gets killing it. a chicken on stage, and I mean that you knew they were going to write about it. Yeah. So that was a. It was a manipulation, but such a different. Yeah. At such a different level. Well, these you know these are these are uh, quote unquote celebrities with their own channel. With they don't need. Channel. That's that's, don't the need, that's, yeah. that's the big difference. That's the big difference. You know, they say you know what. Yeah. Yep. Uh, we're gonna. I'm gonna have my own channel, yeah. whether it's yeah, no, it's wine or YouTube yeah. or, or, and hopefully that'll come out in the end, and people will be the credible ones and the honest ones will win, and the other ones will fade off. Because I think there is, you have to have a moral background somewhere to yeah. what's in the news. Mm. There has to be some integrity to it, someplace in there. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, speaking of morals. Or people with high morals. I want to talk about the Dalai Lama. Yeah, because I know you're. Be something else. Yeah. yeah. 
He's something. He, I know you're close with him, and, and probably not the. I, he, no, no, I wouldn't say that at all. I don't know if he even recognized me if he walked in the room. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh-huh. I want to tell a short story. I I was in Sun Valley once with with the late great Robin Williams, and he was there meeting with people that live in. I don't know. I don't know what he was there for, but he wanted to meet. Robin and I were there together, riding our bikes. We called it a training camp, and he wanted to meet with us. So we go over there, <coughs> and. Uh, this is at the height of the yellow wristband, the Livestrong wristband. So they were making wristbands mm-hmm. that said they were. First of all, they were the color of his. Did robe. Willie play at that weekend? Was Willie Nelson at the event? I, I produced. See. I produced the Sun Valley event with Willie. There. Oh really? Yeah, I didn't. Okay. This was. This would have been in two thousand six, two thousand six. It could have been, but anyway. So they give me this wristband, this color of his robe, and it yeah, says compassion. Yeah. And we, Robin and I, sit down with him, and he was speaking and he was talking about his his and their relationship with the chinese and you know he, he can be pretty feisty oh yeah he was very yeah. feistier than i would have expected yeah. but it was all about yeah. china and i thought to myself and i'm sitting there in front of the dalai lama and i and i knew that we made Livestrong made our wristbands in china and on the inside it said made in china mm-hmm. so i thought god i wonder where the dalai lama has this compassion wristband made and as i'm sitting there I roll it over, made in China. Wow. And I'm sitting there going, this is not happening. Did you ask him about it? No, no. Oh, God, no. I was so freaked out. Yeah. I didn't say anything. Uh-huh. I just sat there. <clears throat> that's, a, yeah, it's an inter- that's an interesting thing. It, it's um, Within his nature, he would not ever stop it from being made there. Hmm. Um, that would not, his choice would be the other way around. Hmm. Um, it's... Um, it's amazing how um, he's maintained who he is through having lost his country. Yeah. Um, there are moments when he'll talk about the Chinese in a way, but it's never in a way of anger. It's a way of almost sympathy for them. Mm. I'm, I assume in your conversation that came up, yeah. he, he just he has real compassion for the people of China who aren't being allowed to live their lives instead of unbelievable hostility for having stolen the country. Yeah. Although he's not happy about it, right? Um, but I, I got to see him in a whole different way. Mine was beautiful because I cooked for him, right? And that which was, was in the was, yeah, was which in was Supermensch. Just you know, there was no. How nervous were you? Oh my god! They, I could still hear the plates rattling as I'm walking they up. Eat this. They, they eat <laughs> oh that. What's the the the, <laughs> and the yak tea? The yak tea. <laughs> I, I I spent. I would. I'd starve for a year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my god. But he's so he's. Uh, what a what a ball of light that guy is. He's just unbelievable, and yeah. he's so simple and real. Yeah, um, it's just I, I. The only thing I took out of the movie um, when I saw it, there's only one thing I took out, and it was a story I told about His Holiness, because it didn't um, it didn't allow it in an environment where the story um, made sense. Yeah, um, but I. I I can tell it here. It's just so beautiful. He's he's like a child, yeah. But he's a child that's aware of everything. It's really wild. So um, the, his his. Can I just I, say one thing yeah. real quick? All he wanted to talk to Robin about were his roles that that Jumanji that that a child would like. He didn't want to talk about 
Dead Poet Society. Yeah, or, yeah, no. He wanted to talk about the roles that my kids would have liked. Yeah. It was I thought I found that's weird. I'm getting chills. You yeah, saying yeah, that? Yeah, very childlike. Because I was like, what? How about how about you no, know? No, no, he still got the innocence yeah. of a child. It's really wild. I mean, heavy. I, I saw it in a few different ways. Like I remember I I cooked for him in the Big Island of Hawaii. I cooked for him in Manhattan. I'm now in Trinidad with him, and um, we're backstage. And because it was a very small contingent, I ended up being the only person backstage. So we were together. I, I always found it very hard to say anything to him other than thank you. Mm. No matter how hard I would think about what I want to ask mm. him, I just end up saying thank uh. you. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, he said to me, uh, oh, you cook for me in Hawaii? Yeah. I said, yes, you're holding us. And he said, oh, and somewhere else, New York? Yeah, uh, yes, you're holding us. Hmm, not Trinidad. You only cook on islands? <laughs> <laughs> but that kind of thought, right. you know. Very um, simple. Very simple. So we're in Honolulu. There's 10,000 people. One of the things about his holiness is that he's very, very, very aware that people are in awe of him. Mm. So he always tries to cut through that mm. really fast and become a human, mm. um, get rid of that stuff from the room, and then he can actually talk. Yeah. Like in Trinidad, when we walked out, in Trinidad, um, everybody wears the costumes of their country. So there was African God, there was Moroccan God. It was beautiful. The room was beautiful, but colorful and different. And he walked out in his robes, and he looks around, and he's never been to Trinidad, and he goes, Oh, must be in wrong room. This costume party? <laughs> and nobody knew what to do. It's like, because it, it, you could hear a pin drop. And, and he thinks of that? Or, or oh, he thinks of it. So yeah. Nobody he, says, every, hey, it's all go out there. But it's from his childlike innocence. Yeah. You know, he, I don't think he thinks of it even. Yeah. Um, and then he looked down at his robes and he held up his robes. Oh, I'm in right room. And everybody laughed and boom. So anyway. And then, the, yeah, then, yeah, and then life like, goes on. Yeah, let's, um, let's go. Let's yeah. go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we're in Honolulu. And um, I think it was President Obama's sister, who's a school teacher in Honolulu, asked the question. But somebody from the audience asked the question to him: um, "Are you always happy?" Great question. And uh, he's sitting on his throne, and he goes, mm, "Always happy? No, no, not always happy. Mm. Sometimes sit on toilet. Mm. Mm. Nothing come out. Not so happy." <laughs> Then, mm, come out, oh, so happy. Isn't that amazing? I mean, How beautiful. I get it. I yeah, get yeah, yeah, it. yeah. You just don't think the Dalai Lama's going to say How beautiful it. is because he says what is on his brain, and he says stuff to make himself human. He's wow. very aware of cutting through that stuff. Um, it's wild. So he's, there's no, I mean, you know, the film gives the impression of me being friendly with him. Yeah. No, it does. And, yeah, it does. and I would not say that's okay. really true. I mean, I serve on his board for the last 15, 16 years. Yeah. Um, so you're not he, texting with him or anything? No, no, nothing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nothing, yeah. I, I don't know if he would even recognize when I come up. He used to come to the board meetings, and he doesn't come anymore. So I'd get one day a year. How old him. is he? I believe he's in his early 80s. Okay, and when he passes away, they they... It's a tough moment. It's, yeah, um, yeah. I, I think, think it's going to be the end. He he already ended. The, the Dalai Lama is has always been the political and the religious head of Tibet. Hmm. He's passed the the political head now on to a Tibetan who is the head of Harvard. Hmm. So he's no longer the political head. Yeah. 
and I believe he's going to end um, the Dalai Lama. You got two pretty good Dalis in your life. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a lucky. Very guy. different, very different <laughs> types of people. Uh, this story about you being on vacation and Steve Jobs yeah. showing up to work on your computer is that true? <laughs> yeah, absolutely true. Because that, that really hundred percent true. That's yeah, hysterical. It's the um, um, Wakaya Club who makes Fiji water. Okay. Let me shut them down. No. Okay. Um, We're at Shep's house, so it's the there are people around. I see people, but it's it's <laughs> it, it, and for those of you who haven't read the book and haven't watched the documentary and ha don't know anything, it's an open door policy. It's an open. That's door. your famous. For, I never so know the, who's here. So the gate and the door are open. You never know who's going to roll through. <laughs> so no, we'll just we'll just have to. It's all good. So he, you're on this island where I guess they make Fiji water. Yep. It's or, um, or, or called Wakaya Club. And there's two people, two families Yeah, they, it's a beautiful place. And I had helped a little bit with them launch Fiji water, so they gave it for the honeymoon. They told us we'd be the only people on the island. And when we were flying over, they said, there's another couple, but you'll never see him. Everything's okay. Don't say who it is. Don't say who it is. Yep. Um, and Renee, um, the computer isn't working. So we called the front desk and uh, literally a knock on the door. And we open the door, and it's Steve Jobs, <laughs> who not only fixes the computer. I was going to say, could he fix it? Yeah, and she's a raw food chef. She had oh, right. written the first raw food book. He's a raw food guy. Right. So we make him dinner that night. I had met him many, many, many years ago. I don't think he remembered. We never. I think we talked about it at dinner, but I was working with a guy named Chris Blackwell, who was from Jamaica. And him and Wozniak had just come out with the first computer. And their goal was to get schools around America and the, and the world to use the computer. Hmm. So they asked us to set them up with the government of Jamaica, which Chris Blackwell did. And we all flew down together with a guy named Johnny Pagazzi. And, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, this is back in... I've been around him a bunch. Yeah, so it's probably 75. He's another guy. Another Add guy. him to the you and Irving. Yeah, another and, guy. And then you, know, then you yeah, really yeah. know everybody. Another guy, yeah. <laughs> and uh, they, they, the government agreed. They never gave him the computers. I don't know why. But So I don't think he... You know, he certainly didn't recognize me. But we went and made dinner because she's a raw food chef. And he came over. And I could see he wasn't really enjoying it. Hmm. Um, but he was very polite. Wife was really nice. I hadn't met his wife before. And I'm sorry, his health at the time was... He was recovering from his cancer Okay, stuff. so he's maybe not sure. Yeah, not sure, but I think on the, no, no difficulties at the moment. Okay. Um, um, and he came over to me and he said, listen, I really appreciate it. It was great, but I don't like my food manipulated. And I said, what do you mean by manipulated? Because <laughs> it was still raw food. And he said, I like it exactly as it comes out of the ground. So if you, a carrot that's cut doesn't work for me. I have to have the whole carrot, which I thought was really an interesting what if perspective. Dirt on it? You clean it up and okay. you do it, but it's a whole, um, which is what we did for the rest of the nights was whole stuff. But I thought that was a very, um, really interesting perspective. I, I don't know what it meant, but it was different than any other human I would have ever come across. Did you read his book? I didn't read the book. Yeah, I read. Does the he book. talk about it in the book? Talk about his diet at all? Yeah, he gets into that. He the book was hard to read, man. It was and Walter Isaacson, who wrote the book, is a friend of mine. And 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 I know a lot of people. And, I, and Steve was a friend of mine. And I know, so I'm sort of right in the middle of all this. And you know, his friends and his family hated the book. Mm -hmm. But Steve w wanted Walter to do the book and hated it because it was truthful? it was cr very critical. And I think their view uh, was that there were times 
where he was being recorded when he didn't know he was being recorded, mm-hmm. which is would bother me yeah, yeah. if I was a, a friend or a loved yeah, absolutely. one. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but the but the book he wanted this book written, and when you read the book, I mean, it's like ninety nine percent of the book. You're like, this is the biggest asshole that ever lived. But then you get done with the book, and you're like, oh my god. I'm, well, I think he had a very rough side. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. But you get done, and you're like, but boy, was I, I'm glad was he, you know, that he was here. What's the craziest party you've ever been to? That's a good question. And I mean, like, really crazy. Yeah, no, I'm trying to. I crazy would people, say, crazy drugs. I crazy. would say, uh, although drugs were, were quiet, the craziest parties were the lingerie parties at the Hefner Mansion. Yeah. I would say that was, for my, you know, I'm, I'm a guy who loves um, beautiful women. That comes through in the documentary. Yeah, and and the amount of beautiful women there were staggering. Hundreds. Yeah, uh, but you know, hundreds upon hundreds. One more beautiful than the next. One more um, into the same lifestyle and way of thought. Um, it was uh, like <laughs> Halloween for perverts, <laughs> and I shouldn't say perverts because that's not the right word. It was actually really clean fun. Yeah. You know, I've been to parties. But these aren't orgies. Yeah, so, well, so to they're speak. orgies, but they're not orgies like, you know, I've been to so many late night drug induced um, winners and losers orgies. Uh, um, if that makes any sense. I, I'd never heard it before, but I think yeah. I got it. Um, Hefner's was completely different. The all Playboy winners. Mansion. All winners. All winners, all equals. Um, nobody doing anything because they were really drunk in, in a place that they had to. Nobody was abusing the other, you know, it'll, when the wild orgies of Hollywood, it was always, there was always a snicker somewhere, you know, I don't, not in a horrible way, but it would be like a conquest. Oh yeah, we had six girls tonight. They were, they were, um, the mansion was a completely different thing. It was just this clean, it was pre-AIDS, yeah. there was no guilt, there was no, it was just amazing. Free love. Free love <laughs> in the most beautiful, I remember my first night there, I actually ended up marrying the girl for a few months. Um, but my first night there, um, I made love in a tree. Made love first in the jacuzzi. When I got out of the jacuzzi, my clothes were gone. And where's my clothes? Oh, they take them and press them. Yeah. Um, had breakfast at like two in the morning. They had a chef twenty four hours a day, and then ended up with another girl in the in in a tree that the part of it had been cut out in cushions and put in. Got it. So you could sit in the tree. Because when you say you made love in a tree, I was like, <laughs> yeah. wait a minute, yeah. how did that work? So it was a customized It was tree. that kind of, you know, yeah. you have a great breakfast. He just sold that, I read it, you know, a hundred something. Just sold months, it, yeah. But he gets to stay until yeah. he dies. Yeah, yeah. it That's was amazing. It. it was really amazing. Um, and you've had some, I mean, we're sitting here at your home in Maui at the bar. You've had some. Yeah, had some great parties. Great, but that was a party. different level right. of. of right. in, this is not, yeah. you don't yeah. have, yeah, we're not. Yeah. Yeah. No late night party. Well, I, guess I mean, I used to have late night. Now I'm a pretty early night guy. I'm completely, I, I, I own a, a hot nightclub in LA called uh, Carlos and Charlie's, El uh, Privado. That's now a chain. I mean, there's a Carlos yeah. and Charlie's where I live. Everywhere, also. yeah. Um, and uh, we were hot. We were the hottest place. So I, that in that period of my life, I was up till sunrise every morning partying. And, but it was the scooping concept. It was different than the mansion. You know, the man, you'd have to work to find the girls who would come over and have plenty of drugs. And At have, Carlos and Charlie's. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was a, it was a, uh, a tit for tat. Yeah. You know, you had the drugs, the girls came over. 
Yeah. Hefner's, they were there because it was Hefner's. Right. Yeah, it was different. Wow. Let's finish by talking. I want to talk about your kids. And and I, I, I call them your kids. They yeah, certainly seem like, yeah. feel like yeah. children, the way uh -huh. you have helped raise them. One's and... sleeping in that bedroom still. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> your ears are burning. Yeah. Um, I mean, that must, you know, that's a reading. And I read the Oprah article. Which was a which was a nice long Great piece article. about. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of, about it yeah. in Superman. Yeah. I think Oprah's article got to the core. I think so too. Yeah. I think yeah. you know because it, it was all about that, yeah. and it, and um, not that it got diluted. In no, no, the documentary, I, but, but yeah, it, that had a lot of heart. Yeah, and, really. and it's interesting too that one of the daughters because I just came flew over from the Big Island, and so I ride by HPA all the time. Oh yeah, yeah. two the, of the kids went to HPA. Two of them went yeah. there. So they would board during the week? And yeah, the, uh, Amber, who's sleeping in here, yeah. called me up. She was in eighth grade. I, when I thought my, my relationship with the children, I knew their, grandma, their mother, who passed away at an early age, and there were no fathers. And um, So I bought a house in upstate New York, and their grandmother and great-grandmother basically raised them. They'd come out here for the summers and for the holidays. Uh, I'm sorry, do they have the, all have the same father or different fathers? Don't know. Some of the... Don't know. Do not know. Don't know. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Don't know. Wow. Um, assume different. Okay. Um, and, Not that it matters. Just no, 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 no. It's a very ghetto story. Mm. It's um, you know, we, we lived at a time when if you knew who the father was, social security was less money. Interesting. So in the ghettos, the goal was to have as many kids as you could without fathers, get the biggest check you could get to buy the most amount of drugs you could get, and that was the ghetto story. So very few of the ghetto kids had relationships with their dads. And if they did, they kept it sort of secret because they got more money if they were wow. just, the, you know. Um, yeah, nobody knows that. Yeah, that's basically what it was. Um, so um, so you take these kids in. So, yeah, I buy a house upstate New York. I don't really think I'm going to get involved emotionally. To me, it's a money transaction. You know, I have the cash. Am I going to give it to some corporation where secretaries get it? Or let me see these eight eyeballs mm. and maybe really do something good with my money. But I never really thought about it. I didn't even meet them for the first year. Because um, yeah. the, the, when you first met them, I mean, it was very clear in this Oprah story on, on her website. And I think one of the, the youngest was going to go to a foster home. Yeah, and yeah, had already gone to a foster home. And that home. just, yeah. you know, that hit you. Like, how am I going to, yeah. you say, how am I going to, I can't, I'll never feel right yeah. just buying another bottle of Dom Perignon with these eight eyes on yeah, my mind. Yeah, on my mind. Yeah, it was like, so in some ways very selfish. Oh, there's Amber right there. <laughs> she went out the other door. Amber's away. She, we, she, heard, she heard us talking about her. And she, uh, so, uh, what time is it? Amber likes to sleep in. Yeah, this she is sleeps in. Amber sleeps in. 1040. Amber. We uh, are. Yeah. Yo, when Alice comes in, just if he comes in the next one. Yeah, he should be anyway. Okay, well, we may be. Yeah. And you can you can start again if he comes in if you want to get yeah. a word from him. Yeah. Um, so um, so sitting, no, obviously no regrets over. No, not at all. Best thing I ever did in my life. Wow. But I'm sitting here one day, and uh, phone rings and I answer and it's Amber. And uh, hi, Grandpa Chef. And I go, hi, Amber. She says, um, you know, I think it's time for me to leave home. She's in eighth, seventh grade. Okay. Uh, I said, excuse me. <laughs> she said, I think you know, I think it's time for me to leave home. And I've been looking at schools, and I know you in Hawaii, and I know some people in L.A., and I want to be near someone I know, not to bother them, but just in case I need someone. Sure. How would you feel about me coming to school in Hawaii? 
And I said, listen, Amber, it's really tough because I'm on the road all the time. I'm not married. Um, you're going to have to be here alone. She said, no, there's a school that boards people. Right. I said, no, no, there's no school in Hawaii that boards people. I said, yeah, yeah, they're Hawaii. So I went online and I found the school and I thought about it for a little bit. It was a big emotional commitment for me. Yeah. Um, but I said, you know, I don't it's know if I can curse, but fuck it, I'm going for it. Yeah. Um, so I flew over. I'd never heard of the school. I flew over. It's gorgeous. Gorgeous. It's like paradise. Like every kid's dream. It's almost like too beautiful. Yeah. And uh, what, was but, the mood, what was the mood? The George Clooney movie about yes, uh, about Hawaii. Was, yeah, was um, was that property right? So yeah. that's yeah. Most of that is filmed yeah. in in, I think big in Hawaii. Yeah. But, but the school, that school was there. The school which yeah. they pretended like was somewhere else was actually HPA. So the family that he, the real family in the Clooney movie, is the biggest supporters of the school. The whole family went to that school. Yeah. Um, the Sinclair, who is, is you know, um, Sinclair's the uh, Bill. That's okay. Yeah, I got but it. It's a beautiful campus. Tongue. So she's thinking. So she, so I go over. It's about a week before school starts, so it's really late, maybe ten days. And I walk in cold. I meet a guidance counselor, and she says she uh, apologizes. It's just too late to get in. And I say to her, somehow Afro American comes up, and when I say Afro American, her eyes like get gigantic because they don't have any Afro Americans at the school, hmm. and I'm sure there's some kind of. Uh, money budgeting that if you have a minority right because they see you yeah they see this tall me. white guy and when i say from the hills don't let me go yeah. <laughs> and uh, she came over and finished school there became the first uh, woman wrestler at hba started off wrestling guys and then turned <laughs> um so i came I'm not, in third i'm not gonna get, i'm not gonna give her any yeah you know yeah yeah, yeah yeah i ain't saying shit and uh love it's her. a very diverse i mean they have they have asian kids yeah, big asian Russians, community african have, community yeah. a lot of kids from africa oh, i think story. half the kids there are supported I believe just about fifty percent are on scholarship, and and all the kids are doing great. And yeah, all doing great, and the youngest one ended up going there, and mm. from tenth grade on, um, the oldest girl who I hadn't spoke to in a long time, I thought I had our relationship was over, called me up about five years ago and asked me to walk her down the aisle. Hmm. First time we had talked in maybe five six years, wow. and she's ended up uh, marrying a tattoo artist from Spain. They moved here a year ago, opened up a tattoo parlor in Honolulu. I mean, in, in uh, Lahaina, that's doing really well. Cool. Paid their own rent for a year. As a parent, if any of you are out there, you understand how big that is. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, Chase has a baby, the uh, beautiful little girl. Yeah, two of them. And, and Kira, the baby, has a baby. So Awesome. All good. Man, thank you for doing this. Oh, my I, pleasure, it's man. It's so real, great to meet you. It's it's. You know, you sum it up best in in these articles when you, having watched your own documentary, said, I want to meet that guy. Yeah. Like, everybody that sees I got to tell you, there's probably a dozen people that know I'm sitting here doing this, and every one of them. I mean, my manager was like, I, I, I think I'm going to use my miles. I want to fly over. I'm like, it just. It's what, But no, you know that. No, no. But, no, that's, I don't need that, to, but that's what I was talking about when I said it was hard to deal with. At first, it was really yeah. hard to deal with. And I had so many people who I respect, didn't yeah. know, but. You know, I'd Google them. And say, Man, this person really accomplished something. Yeah. And why me? I'm, and then, again, you look, you know, I, I have gigantic self-worth issues. Like, yeah. I can't do a speech. I can sit here with you. I'm as comfortable as Q I could a, be. Right. I can moderate. But if I have to stand up in front of a people and I'm the only person talking, my armpits get so sweaty. Right. I remember the first time I'm I had sure to introduce the Dalai Lama. I was wearing a green suit. 
And when I got off stage, the green suit was completely black. I learned to always wear black suits after that. Uh, so it was hard for me to take in the beginning. Really yeah. tough to, and, and it, and it's. Um, but now I've learned not only enjoy it, but to really embrace it right. and do what I can. I try and answer everyone. And so I'm, a, I'm, we'll end by I'm going to make you a promise because I'm sure you meet people for the first time, and then, then they get your number, or email, and they probably blow you up. Every, I gotta, <laughs> I'm going to bounce this off, Shep. I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna blow you up. Thank you. Although I want to. But anybody who you feel is needy, happy yeah, to. I'm not gonna blow you up. Thank you. I promise. Thank you. Been a real pleasure to meet yeah, you, man. Thank you, sir. I'm a huge fan. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Forward Podcast. Like, uh, like I said at the top of the show, if you have anything you want to say. If you have a suggestion, please. God knows I need suggestions. Um, or questions, or concerns, or criticisms, or whatever. Let me know. Send me an email. Send it to theforwardpodcast at wedosport.com. I know it's long. I know it's a little confusing. Theforwardpodcast at wedo, W-E-D-U, sport, singular, Dot com. The Forward Podcast at WeDoSport.com. 